holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thanks for being here as ever. Hope you've had a great week. We're going into a weekend, a big weekend, a crunch weekend, a, a what? what's another word for big and crunch, vital, crucial, seismic. It's only the third weekend of the Premier League season, but we are facing Liverpool at Anfield. <laughs> We've lost big there a few times, not least last season when we got done 5-1, despite taking the lead with an Ainsley Maitland-Niles goal. There was some, I guess you would say, um, no, comic is not the right word, truly appalling defending that day. It's uh, Unai Emery's biggest defeat as an Arsenal manager and something that he will be looking to put right when we go to Anfield to face the Mug Smashers. Of course, in general last season, our record against the big teams was good. That was one of the areas in which Unai Emery definitely made us more competitive, except when we face Liverpool at Anfield. Man City are kind of a different thing. That's a different... That's that's one of those games at this point in time where you go, yeah, whatever, because I don't really expect us to get anything. And if we do, great. That's like a bonus or something like that. But if we don't... When we play Man City, it's like, eh, well, kind of, that's what I was expecting. But hopefully tomorrow we can go to uh, to Liverpool and put in a performance which is worthy of the, the shirt and the badge and the club and all that kind of stuff. You know what I'm talking about. We don't want to get diddled 5-1 again because that would be quite disheartening after what has been a pretty promising and uh, positive start to the season. And also the fact that the mood in general feels an awful lot better um, because we've had... Uh, some openness and some communication from Josh Kroenke, the owner. So in a few moments' time, I'm going to be talking to David Ornstein, who interviewed Josh Kroenke, to talk a bit more about that interview and uh, get a bit more depth on what kind of a guy Josh Kroenke is. And we're going to talk a bit about the uh, the summer that was, the transfer business that we've done and the deals that were done and sort of how it all played out. I mean, there's no big secrets or anything, but it's just worth going back over and it's always great to have. David on the show. A little bit down the line, I will be chatting as well uh, with the Mug Smasher. The Mug Smasher himself will be here in the studio to talk about uh, Liverpool versus Arsenal at Anfield this weekend. So uh, it's a bumper show, a bumper show for you today. Just want to give a quick plug for our Patreon. If you want to support everything we do here on Arsblog, you get uh, benefits like ad-free Arscast. You get the Arscast earlier. There's an archive of extra bonus content on there, and there will be more and more to come throughout the season. You get access to our Discord chat server, and a cool new feature coming very, very, very soon is if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon and you use the Arsblog app, you can log in with your Patreon credentials 
and get an ad-free app as well. So that's pretty cool. We've got an update for iOS coming very soon. Android a few weeks away still, but all the beta testing and, and everything has been done, and apparently it's all working swish and fine. I don't have a, an iPhone, so uh, I don't know. But they tell me that that's the case, and if there are any problems, we can uh, we can obviously iron those out, little bugs and, and fixes and what have you, uh, over the coming weeks as well. So if you want to sign up, it costs just €5 euro a month, and you can do it at patreon.com forward slash arsblog. Right, let's get on with the show, and it is always a pleasure, and now something of a tradition, to welcome back to the show once the transfer window has closed, David Ornstein. Hi, David. Hi, Andrew. How are you? Good, thank you. Now, this week you had an interview with Josh Cronkey, and I think that's the most obvious place to start, a very lengthy, in-depth interview in which he talked about transfers, running the club, uh, fans, uh, his own ambition, the ambitions of KSE and everything else. But uh, before we sort of delve into that a bit, I'd just like to get your impressions uh, of him as a, a person when you're sitting talking to somebody face-to-face. You can obviously get a, a much better impression of the person. What did you make of him? Yeah, it was the first time I'd met Josh face-to-face. He was pretty much as, as I'd expected because clearly we, we've heard a little bit from him. Uh, he gave an interview during the preseason tour of the USA. He was very impressive uh, there from what I saw and he pretty much lived up to, to expectation. Um, he was young. He seems to get it, whatever whatever it means. But he seems to be in, in touch with uh, what's going on at Arsenal, the fan base. He's 39, I think. So um, he, although I don't think he's on social media, he he's well aware of everything that's going on over here. And he spends mm. uh, increasing amounts of time uh, at and around Arsenal. So uh, he was sharp. In, in fact, he... He just got a, uh, a flight from the USA uh, and came straight to the Emirates where we did the interview right. and apologised if he wasn't at all sharp because of the jet lag, etc. But I thought he was he was really on the ball. Um, he didn't appear to have been sort of briefed in great detail um, by the comm staff at Arsenal. There were no questions that were off limits. Um, he was very personable, um, introduced himself straight away and his girlfriend who was with him. Um, and we discussed a few things off camera and then obviously we did the interview and we discussed more off camera afterwards as well. And yeah, very down to earth. Um, I, I haven't sort of outside the, um, the old AGMs, I've not met Stan Kroenke personally. Um, but the way Stan has come across in the past, Josh seems very different. Um, and all in all, a positive impression. Um, and as uh, as for the way he talked in the interview, um, yeah, I think I think those listening to it got got the impression themselves that it was certainly uh, a step in the right direction. Yeah, are we? I, I guess we have to take at this point when we consider KSE and we consider the owners of Arsenal. It has been. Um, down the years, very much focused on Stan. And we know his nickname, Silent Stan, etc., etc. And like you like you mentioned, Josh seems to be almost the antithesis of that. So is there a sense that when it comes to KSE and when it comes to um, their ownership of Arsenal, their stewardship of Arsenal, that he is going to be the public face of that and it won't be Stan? That there's been this shift now away from him to Josh, who seems perhaps a bit more in line with the way things are moving at Arsenal over the last couple of years? 
Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, I mentioned to somebody um, after the interview went out that um, it's a shame we didn't get the the big man himself. Mm. And and the guy who who sort of uh, moves in these circles replied, "Yes, you did. You got the big man. Josh is the big right. man now." And that was quite telling um, because yeah, Josh is now front and center. Um, he mentioned to me sort of off camera that the the silent Stan nickname, which which he he, he smiled about clearly, you know, um, while they've had to show a thick skin and, and they appreciate that it's um, it's been a at times tempestuous relationship. Uh, he said anyone that knows my father personally knows that's not true. Um, and that he is very vocal in, in private scenarios. But clearly, uh, his, what, 10, 11, 12 years of involvement now, 2007 yeah. Yeah. Uh, involvement in Arsenal, um, there, there have been a lot of ups and downs. Uh, there have been clearly things that we as the public haven't known about. Um, there have clearly been things in private that the Cronkies and KSE um, might have done differently. Um have no regrets about uh, complications to do with, especially with red and white holdings and, and Usmanov and what the Cronkies felt that they were able or wanted to do while they weren't in sole ownership. There's clearly been a change since they are, they have been in sole ownership, but certainly the public forum is, is, it's pretty obvious. It's not something that Stan warmed to. Mm. Um, and, and we've got to point out that we, we've not heard from, Many of the owners of these leading clubs, Manchester United, Chelsea, um, Manchester City, uh, Liverpool slightly more. Um, but, uh, you know, Arsenal have probably been more communicative than most other clubs. Now, you can you can um, pick the bones out of that in itself <laughs> because, of course, they gave commitments at, at the time of uh, their investment that they would um, they would communicate with fan groups, etc. So I don't think that's one to get into now, but. Getting to your point, uh, yes, Josh is front and centre. He's very comfortable taking responsibility and leadership on his shoulders. I feel that he thinks um, the the fan base, the public, the media, he's noticed that they've been looking for a figurehead. Obviously, with Arsenal's uh, two-pronged executive leadership uh, team, um, that's brought some... um, that's brought a bit of a lack of clarity over who really calls the shots. Yeah. And Josh has noticed that and he's prepared to step forward. I think he'll be a more regular and um, visible presence at Arsenal this season and beyond. He's got a number of uh, competing interests, of course, under the KSE umbrella. Um, but there's no doubt how seriously he takes Arsenal, um, how comfortable he is um, speaking when necessary. I don't think you're suddenly going to start to see weekly briefings from him or anything. <laughs> no, no. Um, but certainly uh, now that the Cronkies are in full control of Arsenal, um, that there's no real place to hide. We know who's sure. responsible for the operation. And... Um, and they're not stupid. They know there needs to be accountability. Uh, clearly, they and the club have uh, acutely felt the disconnect. Uh, if we go back to uh, the empty seats towards the end of the Wenger reign, and there were strong reports around that time that the Cronkies were ex- exceptionally unhappy 
think we're in for a fascinating time. I, we, don't, we don't know how it's going to play out on the pitch. Yeah. And we, we wait to see how it will really play out off the pitch. Yeah. Um, but, but, but certainly um, Josh is the man who um, we will be seeing lead Arsenal forward. You spoke on BBC Five Live uh, earlier in the week about how the penny had dropped at Arsenal. Um, you, you also mentioned there the fact that KSE are in full control and that has prompted a change in the way that they're um, they're dealing with the running of the club, and perhaps the communication element is is part of that. But obviously, there was a there was a movement during the summer, the We Care to You movement, which I think made it very clear to Arsenal that fans were feeling, as you say, maybe disconnected, disenfranchised. There was a lot of concern, a lot of worry. Hundreds of thousands of fans got behind this um, this hashtag, if you want, but it was obviously more than just a hashtag. And I, I know from speaking to people over in the US uh, during the US tour that there, there was an element of shock about how vociferous this this feeling was being transmitted from fans. Josh made it very clear, and rightly so, that this had no impact whatsoever on the transfer business, and that's quite right. It shouldn't, and if you're a properly run organization, you don't make your massive financial decisions based on what people are are, are complaining about. But do you get any sense that this outpouring of fan sentiment has had an impact on the willingness to communicate with fans, to be more open. Certainly, Josh is far more open than Stan. He's willing to talk about almost everything. Um, is that perhaps one of the net results of, of this campaign, that they've realized that communication is a really important thing for fans and that when you talk, fans will listen? Yeah. I absolutely agree with that. Um, I don't know it for a fact, but they didn't tell me that because of because I put I put it to them. Um, the we care to you, the um, um, sort of heated Q and A, the heckling at the match in Denver. Um, you know, did you react to this? And and as you say, they, he pointed out that they didn't in the transfer market. And then we didn't go on to discuss whether that had made them more communicative. But mm. I, I think it goes without saying that the timing is uncanny. The, the first time we heard from Josh was the, the day after the We Care to You yeah. letter. So yeah. it's inconceivable but that that wouldn't be related. Um, and he, he admitted that day that it the, the fan reaction had hurt them. Um, and... It was quite interesting. People I speak to at Liverpool say that for the American owners, that there were a number of factors, but the penny really dropped when um, fans walked out um, mid-match in protest at a, a ticket price rise. And from that moment on, they they really acute they really realised that um, they needed to put the fan base at the forefront. It's not the only factor, but at the, uh, among the factors at the forefront of their mind when making decisions uh, and certainly communicate better. And I use Liverpool as an example. There are probably others too, uh, but they're a relevant top six example because they've followed a f- quite a similar path to Arsenal. American ownership, losing a Europa League final, rebuilding, etc. And um, and. It, I, I just think that they're clearly in tune with the atmosphere. Um, and 
it would have been negligent of them not to notice and and act accordingly. Um, it's important to point out that they probably wouldn't have done this interview. I, I'm just guessing they probably wouldn't have done this interview if the transfer window had not been so um, seemingly successful and the first two matches of the season uh, had been won. Actually, we did it. We did it on Friday ahead of the Burnley game. Yeah. So that that it was after the first match of the season, really. And and there was of course concern that that if the Burnley match went wrong, it might not have played out so well. But if the transfer window hadn't gone so well and the first match of the season, then there's a, there's a chance it wouldn't have gone ahead. And we've got to, we've got to be honest about that. Um, but the will. Um, Actually, the the wheels for this interview were in. Well, we had a, had a request in for many years, but the wheels started to move um, around the, tr- the 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 final week of the transfer window. Right, and at that point, not all of the business had been completed. Um, there was still was it two deals to to have been finalised? Yeah, with, yeah. Um, Tierney and Luis. Um, so I think the the will was there, and sorry, uh, as always with you, I go long ra- a long way around <laughs> of saying things. Um, they clearly know that the atmosphere around the fan base is is massively important. Um, when I put it to Josh, uh, you know how imp- how impactful, how beneficial would a galvanised Arsenal fan base be? If you look at the transcript, yeah, and 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 if you watch his answer, he almost got a bit emotional about it. He, he he said it would potentially be the most powerful thing he's ever seen in his life, or, or some words to that effect. Yeah, and whether whether the penny dropped now or it, it was a thing that was building over time, um, this summer was was different, wasn't it? The yeah. we care do you the the um, the Q and A the reaction that Kroenke personally saw uh, at the match in Denver. Um, These guys have all got a thick skin and they're not going to react per se, but I think it's just common sense that if they can, um, they can start to build bridges and improve relations with the fan base, then it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out that, it will create a better atmosphere inside and around the Emirates Stadium. And although players tend to zone out with the, these sorts of things, there is no way in the world that, you know, some some of the atmospheres at Arsenal games in, in recent years, certainly at home games, that they would have certainly been noticed by the players. Yeah. And so, yeah, the, the, fa- the fan movement... Outside, you know, you're right on transfers. It, I think it was it was a real coincidence because um, two signings were announced uh, on the day of the the Q and A, and and the Q and A was still a little bit stormy. Yeah, the Pepe deal um, was pretty much agreed. I think on the Friday night, which was a day later after the Q and A, you. you things up so quickly in, in response to uh, it, it was a coincidence and if if all of those deals had got done a week before the the you know it, it, it might have been a very different atmosphere uh, among the fan base so i think you're right to separate the two yeah uh, but but certainly um in terms of their proactivity their willingness to speak and communicate and open dialogue um um the fan the fan movement has must have played a role in that. Sure. Um, and one thing that I, I 
came back to a few times uh, on on Five Live was full ownership. Uh, I don't think we can underestimate the change that that has brought about in in KFC. Um, now I put that directly to Josh, and it was a question that he wasn't particularly comfortable answering because anything he said would have probably reflected badly on previous regimes, investors, personnel, and he didn't want to do that. Um, but you can just see in their actions, the first transfer window, uh, I, I think the, the full ownership was about the 7th of August 2018. So I'm not sure that, that may have just been before the deadline. I can't remember exactly. Yeah. But clearly, they would have known they were moving towards that point, And they made a number of signings in that first summer under Unai Emery. Uh, January was was not a success, but then this summer seemingly has been. And let's see how they they develop moving forward. But clearly, um, since taking full ownership, um, things have started to move in a different direction. Yeah. And, and also, and let, let's face it, without um, with total respect, um, since Arsene Wenger left after 22 years in charge, uh, that was an opportunity to kick on with this new continental model that they have um, been keen to bring in for, what, a year and a half while, while Arsenal was still in charge. Um, and whether that, that model was going to be implemented, whether he remained as manager or, or left, but certainly since he's left, things have worked slightly differently. One of Josh's answers was that he might have held meetings in the past only with Arsene, and now he might hold meetings with the head of you know, the yeah. technical director, the head of football, the head, the managing director, the head of high performance and so on. The proof is in the pudding. This is the Cronkies now. It's all on their shoulders. Yeah. Um, we won't find out much about finances, but we will find out a lot about football and the way they operate off the pitch. Yeah, look, all in all, it's a really positive thing, I think, that um, from something which uh, was born out of contention, there there has been a step in the right direction. And of course, he talked about building trust with fans. So building suggests that there's an ongoing process here. It doesn't have to be weekly briefings. Of course it doesn't. But but something consistent and something that connects with fans is, is hugely important because he's right and you're right to say that it all plays into uh, the wider perception of the club and the atmosphere around the club and ultimately the atmosphere inside the stadium. Because when fans are... Um, I guess, kept in the loop, if that's one way of putting it, but also they can see that the club is trying to do things in uh, what you might consider the right way or an exciting way, an ambitious way, as the transfer market uh, certainly displayed this summer. Uh, you know, a signing like Nicolas Pepe puts bums on seats, as the old saying goes, and and that's something that, that fans can get behind. So all of that um, sort of pushes... Everything, the club, the fans, the team, uh, the management structure, all of that sort of in the right direction. Everybody's um, pulling in the one direction rather than we, we have these opposing sides as we seem to have had for a long time. Yeah. And he raised a pertinent point and, and you've touched upon it, too. Um, they, they see this as just being the start. So, um we can tell, you know, when I asked him if, if they could genuinely challenge for the league title this season, he said that we've got our work cut out. Um, 
let's see how this evolves before getting too carried away. Yeah. Arsenal go to Liverpool at the weekend and then face Tottenham. And things could, <laughs> could look very different after those two games. There's also recruitment issues that still need to be resolved. Um, uh, Danny Ceballos is only on a season-long loan. Um, uh, let's see how they uh, the return of Hector Bellerin goes at right-back. Uh, Rob Holding, a lot is being staked on him long term and he's coming back from a similar injury. David Luiz is only on a two-year contract. William Saliba, when he comes in, will only be 19 years old. Um, we haven't seen Kieran Tierney and might not for a few weeks yet. So, And that was a key position they were looking to fill. So how, how he settles in once fit. There are contractual situations, you know, the, the football operations team or call it what you like told us that um that decisions would be taken on players who are going into the final two years of their contracts sell or or um renew so that's the case correct me if i'm wrong with a bamiang ozil mkhitaryan socrates um and maybe some others (laughs) among them the head coach unai emery i don't know if the same same deal applies to players because he signed a three-year contract so uh, this is very much a work in progress and um it will be interesting to see how the fan reaction the atmosphere around the club uh starts to change if things don't go quite so well sure um you know edu has only just come in and although i'm sure he had some involvement in in sort of decision making he wasn't sort of an active player in going in and uh, doing transfer negotiations and closing deals to how he'll settle into things. There is a huge amount um, that's still to be sort of to, to settle down. It's by, it's nowhere near the finished article, and I'm really intrigued to see how Arsenal, if and how Arsenal managed to compete with the top clubs, clubs who are completely settled: Manchester City, Liverpool, Tottenham to an extent. Manchester United will be trying ferociously to come back into it. Chelsea will be there or thereabouts um, while still having sort of so much uh, work to do. So it, it is a positive um, atmosphere at the moment, but we do know how quickly things can change. And, sure. and I think they're aware of that too. Yeah, well, look, one of the things that gives me a bit of hope is that, you know, when you have this seismic change that Arsenal have undergone in the last two years, really, you know, uh, pieces were being put in place uh, while Arsene Wenger was still there. Arsene Wenger departed. Uh, You lose a manager uh, who's been there for that long, who is basically the figurehead of the club, and you're trying to restructure and become more modern. And they went through an iteration of post-Wenger, which is now no longer there because Ivan Gazidis went to AC Milan. Uh, Sven Mislintat um, was, was, um, well, he departed. Um, Raul Senyehi took control of of football operations. Um, They have brought in Edu to be the technical director and by all accounts, he's a really smart guy um, and has a very, I think, quite a clear remit, uh, certainly based on what Raul Sanyehi said. So they appear to be um, moving in the right direction at that level too, because for a long time, it's felt as if the people making decisions at Arsenal, um, boardroom level, for example, isn't quite as young and dynamic as it might have been. And that's being mm. a little bit diplomatic in, in, in that <laughs> in that statement, right? So it feels like things are 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 uh, being refreshed 
at executive yeah. level? Because it's not just Raul and Vinay. Edu is in there too. Per Mertesacker is involved in that yeah. football executive group. Husfami, who's the contracts guy, is involved in that. So there's a lot of youth mm. and, um, I, I guess, ambition and, and people who want to make things happen there. Overseen, of course, uh, from a footballing point of view by, by Raul Sanyehi, who it has to be said, has really pulled it out of the hat during this summer. Yeah, and um, th- that refresh was needed. It, it's, you know, coming out and doing uh, a couple of interviews like Josh has uh, over the last couple of months, um, Arsenal needed someone or clubs need someone it, it, who can come out and talk mm. and not be completely panned in the media. So, you know, doing in-vision interviews like these on camera that worked for for Stan Kroenke for example it probably uh, it may not work for the Glazers there may not be an appetite it may not work for um, Roman Abramovich Um, so it it wasn't that Arsenal weren't aware that they needed to um, have youth to communicate It, it was possibly that they didn't have the right people to do it you know Ivan Gazidis had done a lot of media, but as the atmosphere around him and, and Arsenal's trajectory started to, to change a bit, mm. um, he really stopped, didn't he? he? We didn't hear from him nearly as much, and, and Arsene Wenger was the only only real spokesperson. Uh, Josh Kroenke's only been on the board since 2013, so as he settled into things and got to grips with things, um, he probably was not necessarily at that time the right person to speak, but now he is. And... and that sense of youth and and um, having the right people and and some impressive operators is being acutely noticed around the league as well. There are certain um, people at other clubs that I speak to where suddenly in certain departments Arsenal are being looked at again as as leaders. Their structure is is being viewed around the Premier League as as pretty impressive. You know, you may have read a couple of pieces about how diligent they were in the um, the loan for Eddie and Ketia. Yeah, because they've got a loans manager now in place, which what isn't in place at a lot of clubs. Um, these are things that weren't happening at Arsenal, and you know, Ivan Gazidis started to bring this new structure into place. He he left. People were very um, divided on the timing and the job he did, etc. But that that was a structure that that's been building over time. Of course, we, we would assume overseen and approved and driven by the Cronkies too. Um, and it's quite interesting that we, for a long time, were talking about the failings in Arsenal's structure or, or potential perceived failings. Um, very little mention often goes to someone like Jason Rosenvelt, who's uh, the stats and the stats DNA and the um, the analytic, the deep analytic analytics, much deeper than your your sort of everyday stats that, that we see in the public. Hasfami is... Um, said by me to be a really impressive character and has led Arsenal forward on on the negotiation front in a way that, you know, perhaps in a slightly different, to, to borrow a Josh phrase, more aggressive way than, than they did in the past. Um, you know, one thing I would have liked to have got into him with, but you don't have time for everything, is some of the relationships that Arsenal are now forming. Um, it sounds like there was some involvement of George Mendes in the Pepe transfer. I don't know for sure and I don't know to what extent. Yeah. Certainly there's been Kia Jurabchian involvement. Um, I know Tim Stillman's talked quite a lot about that uh, when it comes to Edu, when it potentially Martinelli. I don't know that for a fact, but certainly David Luiz. Um, 
he's the, these guys are, are known well by by the likes of Raul especially because he's been around in European football and moving in these circles you come across these guys you know them well that's really one to watch what sort of players do Arsenal go for um, at other clubs certain agents have really got their claws into the whole club the fabric Manchester yeah. United have really been trying to move away from someone like Mino Raiola who had become pretty influential over quite a short space of time um, and then there's the wider point about the money, which we're not going to find out much about now. Arsenal's accounts are private and, and you know, unbelievable work by, by Kieran at Swiss Ramble to, to enlighten us as much as possible. Yeah. Um, but there are remaining questions about exactly how the window worked, uh, how, how the budget was uh, used so effectively. That's a question I put to, to uh, Josh on numerous occasions. And let's see how that plays out in, in future windows as well. Yeah, I mean, one of the the things that I, I noticed, and I think many people will have noticed about the window before we talk a little bit about some of the players that came in, was the fact that we did sell. We sold players uh, and generated revenue. The big sale, of course, is Alex Iwobi to Everton, perhaps not the player who would have been top of the, the list when it came to uh, guys they were looking to sell or looking to move on, but the offer was there and it, it felt maybe too good to turn down, particularly when you look at the the outlay that we've made on, on players. But, you know, smaller sales, if you like, Christian Bielik, £10 million, that's what the deal is is going to be worth if it all comes to fruition. So there's been a, a an uptick in, in that. And with the transfer window still open across Europe, uh, there are a couple of players who could move on. Um, Shkodran Mustafi has been left out of the squad completely for the last couple of games. So it seems clear that the club are, are giving him the message, look, we, we want you to go. Um whether we can find uh, a buyer or a club for him is, is another question, but there are still some some days to go in the transfer window. So th- there has been an improvement in that side of things too because it, it felt for quite a while like we weren't, A, good at selling and we often didn't sell when we should have. Uh, players stayed too long. Yeah, there was a clear... Um it's quite hard to phrase this and and I don't want it to reflect badly on previous regimes or personnel, but there's clearly more decisiveness now. I I think that's been evidenced in, in the transfer business uh, that Arsenal have done. Um, There's had to be a lot of straight talking after the Europa league final. And that was something that Josh made clear to me. It seems that they were having those conversations on the flight home from Baku um, in meetings that ran throughout the whole of the following day. Do you, which, given just, that, that, sorry to cut across you there, but just I think people have, have this uh, perception of what he said about Baku in that it was, well, that didn't work. Let's, you know, let's, uh, let's really pull our socks up and, and have a good plan here. Or was it a case that they were sort of half banking on Champions League football and that was going to inform the, the decisions that they made in the transfer market and the lack of of Champions League football meant they had to sort of go go at it in a different way or from a different angle, if you like. Yeah, it's been interpreted, hasn't it, in a few different ways, his comments about that. Their recruitment plans stretch back quite a few months. And I know the Pepe interest and, and vague conversations, uh, despite the fact that they were interested in others, I'm, I'm not denying that. And um, Wilfred Zaha is definitely one of those because I know that he was talked about uh, in 
he was personally discussed by Emery um, straight after straight after the the defeat in Baku by sorry with staff. Um, but you have a number of irons in a number of fires, and Pepe, I'm told, the interest in him stretched back to January. So um, I, I just think it's it's fairly normal that you plan around certain scenarios. And yeah, Arsenal were were probably quite confident of being able to um, go with plan A, which was Champions League football, given that they had, what, five or six chances to sew up for a top four position. Mm. Um, They lost out by only one point and still they had a backup of the Europa League final against a team who had already qualified for the... the, um, the Champions League and, and perhaps that made Arsenal go into it as favourites. So there was, you know, not confidence, but perhaps some optimism that they would still be able to go with plan A. But what he's saying is that in the second half, we, uh, you know, conceding four goals in a, in a pretty miserable defeat, we realised that we had to um, act more aggressively to follow through the plans or some of the plans or slightly tweak or alter the plans mm. um, that that we had already been working on. It wasn't like the um, a new plan was formulated based on 45 minutes of football in Baku. It was yeah. just a slightly different one. Um, and the, the way they aggressively, <laughs> I keep using their phrase, but, uh, but, but it seems to have been true, uh, had these conversations, you know, pretty much after the, the the medals were handed out on the flight home throughout the next day um, shows a determination to act in a way that we perhaps hadn't seen Arsenal act in the past. And um, filling the positions that they needed fill was quite impressive, I thought, yeah. because one of the narratives around Arsenal is that, you know, they were always lacking a, I don't know, a central midfielder, a centre-back, a striker. If we go further back in years, it was always about the goalkeeper, wasn't it? But this time Arsenal filled every position they needed, they wanted, and even slightly more with um, with the Saliba arrival in a year's time. So that was pretty ruthless in terms of outgoings. Um, it's quite hard to know the exact uh, thinking behind all of them and, and the timeline for them. For example, Iwobi had not been brewing. That's that. Even though perhaps the stats showed that he wasn't fulfilling his potential, he wasn't contributing as much as he would have liked, Unai Emery liked him. He worked very hard. Mm. He, he thought he could um, polish him uh, into a sort of uh, more refined player who could, you know, there was goodwill there to really... F- for, for an academy um, graduate to, to fulfil his potential. But they realised that wasn't happening. And when an opportunity came up late in the window, they went through with it in rapid speed. Um, some of the others extracting good value for the young prospect, Dominic Thompson. And I presume there's a, a sell-on clause in that as well. They bought in money for Banassa and Jeffrey in Adelaide, which would have been those clauses would have been put in place far further back in time. So some earlier credit is due there. Um, The Koscielny situation, yeah, it wasn't ideal. But instead of festering into this season and and leaving him on the bench and trying to reintegrate him or whatever, they got it done in the end, Mm. which which brought in some money for the transfer fee, but also on the salary front as well. Um, Whether you like it or not, 
clearly a pretty ruthless decision had been taken uh, around the Aaron Ramsey contract situation. And I don't think today's the time to get into all of that again. But yeah. a decision was was taken to walk away from the table. Um, who else was there? Yeah, we could still see Mustafi and El Nenny uh, depart. I, one of the questions I asked to Josh was whether we'd see more departures before the foreign window closes, and he said that you know that's all up to our, our football operations department. But there are a couple of guys' names who have been mentioned, and um, I'm guessing it's those two because there have been a lot of reports around them. Ospina brought in money, um, so. Uh, I, I, I just don't think Arsenal could have got away with more. Uh, you know, some people externally have called it pussyfooting around, uh, dally, <laughs> dillying and dallying in, in yeah. the market. You've you've got to to get your recruitment right. Uh, you know, if you look if you look at all the figures, and we know the outgoings, are, uh, an accountant will tell you much better than me. But the way it's it's put in the books in the first year, that probably did fit into Arsenal's reported budget um and then and then even when you balance out the total fees and expenditure uh, coming in versus those going out which are normally booked in their full value i think in, in accountancy terms when you bring money in um then they weren't far off what what the reported budget was what we don't know is whether there was any investment from kse whether they put any uh, mechanisms in place and and Josh described them as instruments, and um, I'm sure there's a lot of people trying to find out what they were, myself included, but I'm not <laughs> sure how far we'll get. Well, good luck with that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I guess there's only uh, so far that the newfound KSE Josh openness will stretch, uh, but if you do, <laughs> please please come back and tell us. I just want to very quickly go through two of the, uh, the incoming deals. Uh, the big one, of course, was Nicolas Pepe from Lille, um, you know, you you sparked uh, an absolute uh, storm on Twitter that morning when you dropped the news. Uh, I, I woke up in in New York, uh, five hours behind uh, the time, of course, and my phone was just hopping um, with people going, "Oh my God, I can't believe this! This is amazing!" And then there was a week of panic uh, because nobody could quite believe that it was going to happen, or something might might happen at the last minute. Someone would gazump us, or he might have a better offer, or or something. Arsenal-ish might happen to the transfer, but it went through, and it, it it's a really, really impressive deal to have done, not just because he is a really exciting prospect and, and everything else, but they were able to sell him the idea of coming to Arsenal after a really disappointing end to a season with another season ahead in the Europa League, which is not where the top players want to be. I'm not sure any player at Arsenal wants to be uh, in the Europa League, but that's the reality of of where we are. I mean, have you any uh, insight into into what really attracted him to to Arsenal. Uh, you think about the relationship he might form with Aubameyang and Lacazette, for example. That is That would be something interesting for, for a young player of his potential. But there was clearly more to it than that to, to make, basically, what was the, the deal of the summer happen. No, I don't have a huge amount of insight on that. I, I, just before I, I started recording with you, I saw a link to a piece on 442 where I think he... Uh, Pepe has talked about the role Unai Emery played and and what attracted him to Arsenal. And the, I saw a couple of quotes floating around of the cha- the challenge of um, winning the Europa League and re-establishing 
Arsenal in a position that many feel, feel they they need to be at as being a challenge that he wanted to take on at this point. Of course, he would have been playing Champions League football, I think, if he had stayed put. But it was all, it was always the plan for him to uh, move on this summer. And of course, he he it seems he could have opted for. Uh, a Champions League club. Arsenal, if if um, Josh and Raul are to believed, when they knock at a player's door, it's a very different knock, um, <laughs> and that they still they still have the uh, aura to attract these players, which I'm, I'm sure is true because um, uh, when you occasionally get to sit down and interview these people or talk players, talk to them off the record. Uh, they do talk about Arsenal with a certain luster, and and so do players who have left the club. Um, I'm not saying that the attraction isn't there in in similar spades or even more from the likes of Liverpool, Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea, Tottenham. Um, But certainly Arsenal have a pulling power. Um, They also um, pay very good salaries um, and uh, they look after players well. The packages are good. I mean, clearly they're making a bigger effort than ever before to... um, uh, get the agents on side. Some of the representatives I spoke to around players that signed for clubs this summer um, spoke very warmly of Arsenal, actually. And that hasn't always been the case in the past. And mm. Many, many uh, journalists and, and people in the game feel that if you win over the agent, that's more than half the battle uh, these days. And we had players like, you know, Pe- Pepe. You know, th- that, that uh, just a sidetrack, that, that, fear or nervousness in the days until the announcement that sort of thing is maybe indicative of of the modern era we live in of wanting everything immediately but once that agreement was in place they just had to iron out the agreement over that weekend that's why we reported 24 to 48 hours with the with the agents with the representatives uh, and it was done there was confidence on on all sides there was goodwill um, these conversations with the representatives don't just happen in those couple of days they've been happening potentially for weeks um, and we know there was a, a report um, coming out of France or multiple reports coming out of France a few weeks earlier that Arsenal had made a bid now I'm still told that wasn't the case and that's why mm. I reported it at, at the time um, but we also don't know how I'm not trying to cover my tracks at all the fact is we don't know how these things change um, in terms of whether demands for the upfront instalments change whether things around the player change this is these things are a lot more complex than any of us myself included imagine they're really fluid and sometimes there's not a great appreciate or full appreciation of of that on the outside which is fine because we don't know the whole, whole situation um and then it was just a case of getting, you know, their photos and their medicals and moving different people in different places. Um, so, yeah, that that fear and, and nervousness was was really unfounded. Arsenal did a good job on mm. on, um, on getting that deal done. Um, but, yeah, players like Kieran Tierney. So he wanted to join Arsenal and Arsenal were emboldened by that to continue with their business. So. You know, weigh up the numbers of what they had left to use for a centre half. Um, uh, if if Celtic were going to hold true on their on their desire to get whatever they wanted, at all accounts, if it came right down to the wire, could Celtic get someone else to come in and and rival Arsenal uh, at the last, which would put the price up? But Arsenal were confident on that because the player wanted to join. Mm. So almost they parked that one until the last day or the last 
it was the last couple of days, wasn't it? It started to materialise the night before deadline day. Did, did um, the injury, the injury that he was carrying, meant that there wasn't necessarily the the kind of need to get the deal done yeah. during preseason, so he could immediately join the team? Like they knew he was going to have this problem, which was going to keep him out a couple of weeks. So that must have played a yeah. part. Yeah, definitely. But they knew they were going to go. They were going to get the deal done. I mean, you don't know ever know one hundred percent, but they knew it was there. They knew the will was there. And I presume they knew the finance was there. So they kind of parked that and moved on to, I presume, the centre-half situation. And I don't know the full background to that. There was a little bit of interest in, um, excuse me, in Daniele Rugani from Juventus. But in the weeks leading up to um, the deadline, that interest had called. There had been no real communication between Arsenal and Juventus on that. A couple of other names uh, came up here and there. We know about the Jurabchian relationship. So how long was the uh, Louis situation bubbling for? I don't know. Um, but it, it was quite interesting to see how they were confident on the Tierney one because they knew the player wanted to join. Mm. Uh, Luis got done very quickly. Um, there were factors in, in Arsenal's favour on that one. He was based in London. There was good relations with the agent. Uh, he was perhaps not Lampard's first choice. Um he wanted to be playing at the age of 32. That that one just seemed to suit absolutely everyone. But no doubt there was a desire from Luis to join. Yeah. It's it's a club in London, this club uh, fighting towards the top end of the Premier League. It's a club where he knows people because he, he worked with Unai Emery previously. He knows Edu. So in all of these signings, um, there was a real appeal on Arsenal's behalf. Saliba had talked about how he admired Arsenal growing up. I think Pepe said something similar. Uh, the representatives of, of Saliba and um, and uh, and other players who have joined this summer, as I said, were complimentary about Arsenal. The Sabayos situation, I, I, do, I don't know in, in great detail, but there's obviously a Spanish link there as well and the lure of Arsenal. So that's that will be really encouraging from, from Arsenal's perspective. And... They'll, also, they'll already have half an eye in January, I'm sure. Do they need to continue any recruitment? Um, do they need to fill any gaps based on what might happen in outgoings before the end of the window? What sort of money do they have available? But it's encouraging for Arsenal fans that, that Josh Kroenke said that they'll look to be proactive again. So, um, yeah, I guess it's a watch this space on that one. On, on the finances, it, it, it'll be, it will be really interesting to see how things pan out because although we don't get the accounts now, uh, they will have to comply with FFP. And that's something they're acutely aware of. One theory I was told, which I must stress has also been uh, told to me that is not true, but it was just a theory that, that came up, is that Arsenal's... Um, uh, Arsenal's cash reserves were mainly being held aside as guarantees on the stadium debt covenants, and that these are very strict covenants that you have to um, you have to tread a, a very careful uh, path in terms of complying with them. So you have to have enough cash in place or, or guarantees mm. in place for the rainy day scenario, which might be, for example, uh, finishing mid-table, not having European football, uh, only having a quarter full Emirates Stadium, and you need to prove that you'd be able to cover that financially. Yeah. And so much of this cash balance uh, perhaps hasn't been able to have been touched. It's not that Arsenal have loads of money that they don't want to spend. Um, 
and that since taking full control, this is just a theory, as I said, that others have said isn't true. The Cronkies um, have uh, have said we'll take over that that um, that guarantee, and we will we will sort of put our name to it and um, and guarantee the the bank stadium bank loan covenants, and that will free up some of the cash balance to be used now in in uh, within FFP regulations. So basically, a little loosening of the purse strings. Um, as I said. I've, I've also been told by some people that that's not true and we don't know the, the full story. Did the Cronkies invest? Did they loan money uh, that will have to go back? Did they did they use debt? There will be so many theories. Mm. Um, and it will be, re- I, I think the only thing we, we can say is it'll be interesting to see how Arsenal comply with FFP and it will also be interesting to see how they act in, in the subsequent transfer markets uh, as a guide to maybe what happened this summer. Um and also, back to that point, it is all of that nonsense. And they actually um, lived relatively within their means uh, this summer in terms of what went out and what came in. Yeah. But it was in- it was interesting to see Josh say that they put instruments in place uh, to allow them to do what they needed to do without necessarily selling. Mm. Uh, and, and also, when I pushed him on whether KSE invested, he just said, you know, it's a private matter, but people can read between the lines. I'd, I'd be intrigued to how much better financial minds than me read between the lines on, on that. It might well be a case of, it could be just something like uh, a bridging loan to an extent um, until such mm. time as they sell, because if they can sell Mustafi, if they can sell El Nani for anywhere um, that's reasonable within the current market, I think when you add up what they've spent and you add up what they'll have taken in, that they very much will have operated within the within the spectrum of the the budget figure that was doing the rounds this summer. And if that's the case, to have done that, that the kind of business that they've done with that kind of budget, I think we have to give them a, 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 a big amount of credit because they have addressed, um, for the mm. most part, all, all the issues that the team the team face but um yeah and 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 the the disappointment for arsenal on mustafi and i don't uh, know if it's similar on el neni because he basically just hasn't played much but mustafi's reputational uh, damage for from the mistakes and and some of the performances has will almost certainly um have been picked well it will certainly have been picked up by yeah. prospective prospective buyers and that's going to disproportionately deflate his value because there are defenders who have gone for moved around in England and elsewhere for big money this summer, and none of them are, are world or many of them are not World Cup winners. Um, and uh, yes, Mustafi's made some mistakes, but some of the people that pour over the Arsenal t- statistics say that it's some of the high-profile mistakes that have sort of given a, a much worse impression statistically and analytically mm. of his performances than, than are actually the truth. And um, so I, I'm not sure how Arsenal are going to deal with that situation because what they paid 35 million yeah. pounds for him. Yeah. And um, al- although in terms of the accounting over the course of, of a contract, um, perhaps you don't need to get cl- that close to that thirty-five million pounds to still make an accounting profit on sure. someone that's a number of years into into his contract. But I don't know. Would it be more likely that he'd be loaned out with an option to buy? Um, so you're not you're not realistically going to get a lot. From, from what I've heard, the the interest in Mustafi or the the, the sort of negotiations or 
early talks have not centered on on transfer fees and certainly not on high level transfer fees yeah. but uh, maybe maybe arsenal's priority is just to move him on in some form and the same with el nenny um and then you you also potentially get rid of some or all of their wages as yeah. well. Well, look, uh, maybe Raul can pull another rabbit or two out of the hat um, to to cap off what has been a very successful summer uh, for him as the, the the head of football at Arsenal. David, uh, we better leave it there. But thank you as always for your time. Really appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you as ever to David. Great to talk to him and great to get some insight into uh, into the summer and also into that interview with Josh Kroenke, which I think is a, a really positive development for fans, certainly, to be able to hear from the owner and also for the club as well. I think it does benefit them too when there is this uh, open communication because it answers questions that people have. It doesn't mean, though, that Everything that came before, all the silence and the lack of communication was good, but this is a step in the right direction. And if you're looking for more engagement and then you get it, you can't complain. So it was good to hear from Josh Kroenke, a great interview by David as well. And of course, you can follow him on Twitter at BBC Sport underscore David. You look tired. I take it the caffeine, toothpaste and adrenaline face serum aren't working? Well, maybe you should ask Santa for a Nectar mattress this year. And if the big guy brings you another unicorn finger puppet, don't worry, because mattresses start at just $499, and you get $399 in accessories thrown in, as well as a 365-night home trial and a forever warranty. Go to Nectarsleep.com today. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, with me ahead of the game against the Mug Smashers at Anfield on Saturday is the Mug Smasher. Hello. Hello. Hello How are to you? you. I'm okay. I'm fine. Happy birthday to you. It was your birthday during the week. You're now older than you were. That's true, but always younger than you. Yes, that's very but thank true. You. That's okay. Can I just say, uh, you know, we haven't spoken on the podcast since last season. I think it would be remiss of me not to just put on record officially my sincere thanks to you uh, as a as a not necessarily a representative of Liverpool Football Club but the most Liverpool person I know that the Champions League final that we watched <laughs> together yeah. was just the best fun yeah it was pretty great uh, i'd forgotten the result Virgil was watching it the other day you forgot the result. I forgot the result. What did you think it was? Well, no, I mean, I obviously knew that we won. <laughs> I just couldn't really remember any of the details, but it was it was a fun night. Um, but yeah, I couldn't remember the score. 2-0. Yes. 2-0, because oh, you scored Rigi. really early. Yeah, the penalty. And then Origi scored like really late on, wasn't it, yes. with a, the left-footed shot? No, I see. I was not, it left-footed? None of those details in my head. Well, you see, I know he scored, but I mean, he could have kneaded in. I no, I'm pretty sure it was a left-footed shot across goal into the far corner. Into one of the corners. One of the corners. Beyond Hugo Lloris, that's the important part of this. It yeah. doesn't matter how he did it. The fact is that he did it. 
And, you know, after a dismal end to last season from an Arsenal point of view with the Premier League and the uh, the Europa League final, uh, it was great to enjoy Tottenham's misery. Um, yeah, you were the loudest person in the pub. <laughs> a pub full of Liverpool fans. Yeah, yeah. I did cheer. <laughs> you did, all right. Yeah. I did cheer those goals. Because the table of Spurs fans who weren't really enjoying you so much. Yeah, but, you know, tough shit. Yeah, it's not about them. Yeah, it is. Well, it is kind of about them in that they were obviously very unhappy and that that added to my excitement about the whole thing. I think it was probably my favourite game from the whole of last season. Well, I'm glad we could help. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much indeed. How, how are you uh, feeling being a European champion? Again? Um, yeah, it's, it's Again. brilliant. Again, yes. Yeah. yeah, it's really brilliant. And, um, I, you know, it just I just want the league, to be honest. That's it's, it now. This is the... I mean, yeah. It's been it, too long. Yeah. It was amazing and, and to win the, the European Cup again, but nothing will satisfy us, you know, except for the league. Right. And you know, we may never win it again, but... Well, it looks difficult yeah. um, when you consider Manchester City. Uh, I mean, the to to have what did you get? Ninety seven points last season. Yeah, something and something to get ninety seven points and not win the league is absurd. It is absurd. Yeah. Um, so what there was some, some stat they would have won one hundred and fifteen of the previous one hundred sixteen championships. Or probably. Yeah. I can't remember. Like, wasn't the the highest something like 90? Well, until Man City came along, the highest was something like 90, wasn't it? I remember Chelsea did it one year. I can't remember. I don't have Premier League stats in my brain. But to 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 take 97 points and not win the league is, uh, yeah. It's grim. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, do you, uh, are you feeling about the, the season? Obviously, it started pretty well in terms of points on the board. Uh, Liverpool and Arsenal, the only two... Clubs to have won their first two Premier League games, six points. You're slightly ahead of us due to goal difference. Yeah. So, you know, a, a reasonably positive start to the season. Yeah, I mean, pretty good start. Not that we haven't been completely convincing defensively, which I'm sure everyone's heard talk of. Um, seems to be, seem to be playing a higher, a higher line mm. and taking more risks, but I don't know if we'll be doing that against Arsenal uh, with your front three. But, like, yeah, two wins out of two. Can't argue. Can't argue with that. Southampton maybe can feel a bit aggrieved. Yeah, I only watched the second half of that and I thought you played really well, but you were saying the first half yeah. was not great. We were shocking the first half, yeah. Like right. the, the way we played in the Super Cup final against I, Chelsea. I didn't watch that. That's, yeah. that's That game shouldn't exist. No, it's stupid, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. like extra time in that game is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. 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 Well, maybe, maybe the extra time can explain our bad start against Southampton. But, um, yeah, that could do, actually, yeah. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. So you've had a full week to prepare uh, for Arsenal. But um, what, what, what about the squad and what about the business that you did or didn't do this summer? Would you have liked more in the transfer market? Wait. Who did you sign? I can't even remember. Did you sign anyone? Uh, a young lad, a young winger from somewhere with a stupid haircut. Well, that doesn't really uh, narrow um, it down these Elliot, days. Um, I can't remember who else. I mean, I, I, there's arguments. There are two arguments, you know, that you, you have to continue to add to your squad to yeah. to, to progress and, and also don't disrupt a squad that's working quite well. And I can see merits to both arguments. But, um, I mean, who can say how the season goes? We may regret not signing anyone. Yeah. 
Uh, but I mean, you people you, get injured. You got Ox back. Oxley Chamberlain is back. So I'm just going to close the blind here because you're being actually blinded by the sun coming through I the window. Too polite to say. You should have. Um, yeah, Ox played really well actually in the last game against Southampton. Yeah, his former been, club. Yeah, he'd been really bad uh, in his previous game. Where did he play him? Uh, he was centre mid, wasn't he? Or right. on the right side of midfield. Right. Yeah. That's probably kind of, wrong about that. But in the previous game, he was in the front three. Oh, okay. And uh, that didn't seem to work out. No, that's a weird thing. Like, he can produce there. And Arsenal fans have seen him produce there. But very often, he had, like, standout performances in the centre of midfield. But he was only ever played there when we had nobody else. Yeah. So there was, like, either a cup game and he wanted to rest people or we had an injury list and, and Wenger would play him. Uh in the centre of midfield. And in general, he played really quite well there. And Wenger always said, he is going to be a, a central midfield player, but then just never played him there. Yeah, he uh, never got the confidence of Wenger. No, so it feels like, you know, at this point he needs to, it's something Arsenal fans said for a while, like he needs to nail down a position. Yeah, well he does, like but I mean, I don't think he's going to nail down a position in Liverpool's midfield because we have so many midfielders and Klopp likes to rotate in there. Yeah. But he, I think he'll be happy to to rotate and to, to get, you know, 15 games rather than 40 games in a season. Yeah. Think, and to come off the bench. Yeah, but there's cup games as well and European games, of course, where, yeah. you know. Yeah, he'll have opportunities and, you know, whatever Klopp says to the players behind the scenes, you mm. know, they've all bought into it and I suppose getting the European Cup finals helps. It does. So what's your what's your biggest hope for the season? What's your like uh your bright spot? What what do you think is going to be the real positive of the season from a from a Liverpool point of view because, you know, to get 97 points and win the Champions League is a hell of a season. Yeah, it's in, incredible. in terms of performances and results and yeah. and what have you. So I mean, is that do you think you can match that league performance again? Um, I mean, yeah, it's it's going to be really difficult to get mm. many points again. And the last few times we've come close to winning the league, we've fallen apart the following season. So I have that in the back of my head, although I don't think that's going to happen this year. Yeah, that was I was going to ask you, what's your big worry? Yeah, yeah, that one. That one. Um, but I don't know, we're two points ahead of City, so... Yeah, you've got a hell of a lead. Yeah, we just, have to, we just have to match their results <laughs> for, the rest of the for the thirty-six games. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you've lost the goalkeeper for a little bit as well. Yeah, that's a uh, that's goal- a shame and a mild worry. But Adrian is a, a little bit flaky, but he, you know, he looks like a good keeper. Mm. Mm. That goal you conceded against yeah. Southampton was not great. It was a bit carious, wasn't it? It was a bit carious, yeah. a bit Mignolet, a little bit uh, Grabbelar, <laughs> <laughs> a bit Almunia even, who knows? We won plenty of leagues with Grabbelar and goals. That's very true. Yeah. That is very true. Um, so what do you make of Arsenal and what Arsenal have done this summer in terms of transfer business. Do you want me to tell you what we've done? Would that help or can you remember any of I, it? I remember that you bought Pepe for lots of money. Yeah. Um, I don't remember much else other than you didn't really strengthen your defence. We brought in David Luiz and oh. we're not playing <laughs> Mustafi. So Mustafi hasn't even been in the squad for the first two games of the season. Okay, so you have That's strengthened strength. your defence slightly just by yeah. taking Mustafi out. Yeah, but Louise, I think, is plenty experienced in the Premier League. He can, he, I think, he's going to be um, interesting yeah. to watch. <laughs> you know, when someone gives you something to eat and you, they say, "What do you think of that?" or something to yeah. drink, you go, "Hmm, 
interesting because mm, yeah, you yeah. don't want to commit and say I don't think I like the taste of this I think there could be an element of that with David Luiz yeah I think he'll have uh, he'll, he'll have, have his moments, moments yeah, yeah. I mean, people talk about him as a, as a, a good influence in the dressing room, so maybe yeah. that will help. Yeah, he seems they did a they did a, a video where they sort of brought him through the club, you know, the day of his signing and his medical bits and all that. And he seems like pretty decent, nice, down to earth, not a complete madman. Like he was different from what I was expecting. Yeah, you know, he seemed quite humble and stuff. So that was that yeah. was good. Yeah. But we did also he stand on a rake. At any he point? didn't stand on a rake. <laughs> um. Kieran Tierney, we brought in. Oh yeah, left back. So has he done? Has he played? No, he's got a bit of a. He's got a pubic injury. His pubes are are in bits. So too, too curly. Too, they're just too curly. They're having to straighten them out. This is London you're living in now. They can't be unkempt and curly like they are in the Highlands of Scotland. You he's see. getting his pubes crimped. <laughs> so he's probably not going to be back until the. Um, Till after the international break, maybe mid-September. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask when that was. Yeah, so not not this weekend. Next weekend, there's Premier League games, and then after that, there's a, an international break. Right. Um, you, you also brought in Ceballos yeah. from Madrid, who's sort of a Madrid reject. But sort the of. bits I've seen of him, he looks quite useful. He was great against Burnley. He was yeah. really, really good against Burnley. And, you know, the way Burnley play is... Yeah, it's not something you would necessarily experience in uh, La Liga. No. You know, not to say teams or, or players aren't physical, but you don't have that like commitment to being big and strong. Atletico Madrid, maybe. Yeah, but they're 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 no Burnley. No, they're they're no Burnley. They no maybe a little more, uh, better technically yeah. than than Burnley, but uh, yeah. So we brought in him. He looks very good. I think he's got an issue with Zidane. Like Zidane doesn't like him and he doesn't get on with Zidane I don't like Zidane he is the quietest talker I've ever seen in my oh, life yeah. yeah I was at the, he was at a press conference uh, during the summer tour when Arsenal played Real Madrid and he came in afterwards and he just talks really quietly into the <laughs> microphone it's so strange because he's got this like you're sitting there and you're like I'm six feet away from Zidane and he's got this presence and this aura but the voice does not match that yeah Maybe he just keeps it really quiet, so when he does fly off the handle, he... It's he, effective. It's very effective. Maybe. Um, yeah, so he looks good, and he looks like somebody who can make a, a real difference in our midfield, and we've got uh, we've got a young guy coming through, Joe Willock, who looks great. Yeah, he's played well. He has played well, and he was great during the summer also. Um, and Pepe, of course, who is... Uh, he's a very exciting player. Yeah, I mean, I still haven't seen much of him, so I don't know what to expect. Did you see the nutmeg he did? No. You didn't see this? Let me see you if I can... show me? Uh, I'm going to try and see if I can get this here. Uh, Pepe, nutmeg, me. Oh, and Ben me, was it? Ben me. I heard something. Watch, Nicholas Pepe forces Ben me to consider career <laughs> with the filthiest nutmeg you'll see all season. Let me see if I can get it here. Uh that's the that's Jao Felix. Oh, I heard about that one too. That was good. Look at this. The way he just like, like wins the penalty. That's not the one. Let me see if I can find it here. Uh oh, that's BT Sport. You're you can't play BT Sport videos over here. It's bullshit. Even though you subscribe to BT Sport. Let's you see. Get a VPN? I could get a VPN. Here it is. Oh. Let's do it. I'll just wind it back a bit. 
delicious. <laughs> that is nice. You didn't end up doing much with the ball in the end, but... Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. It excites people. Yeah, that's nice. So, yeah, he's going to be exciting. And when he's, you know, fully fit and he's playing with Aubameyang and Lacazette, uh, that's, a, that's an exciting front yeah, three. for sure. For sure. Uh, the worry is still your defence, though. It is a bit, yeah, but... Uh, you know, maybe with Rob Holding coming back, with Tierney coming in, with Bellerin coming back, uh, you know, Socrates is there, Louise is there, Callum Chambers hasn't been uh, bad at all, Holding will be there, there'll be no Mustafi. Yeah. I think we can't overlook that part of it. No, that's true. But I mean, a, a lot of those names you've mentioned. Um, yeah, you know. okay. Look, they're not, the, they're not Virgil van Dijk. N- none no. of them are Virgil van Dijk, no. and, and that's fair. There's not many of him. Yeah. No, there aren't many of him, and that's why. Um, although, you know what? Um, we I did an interview with... Uh, do you remember when we used to do the uh, the Ole Ole podcast? Yes. You remember that. I the do. fun times. The fun times. Um, remember the, the Celtic blogger who used to come on sometimes, Kevin? Yeah. yeah? What was his name? Kevin. No, the... <laughs> What was the blog called? Lord of remember. the something? Lord of the, Lord of the Wings. Yeah. Lord of the Wings. So he's got a new podcast now. It's called A Celtic State of Mind. And we did a little bit of a podcast when we signed Kieran Tierney. And he said, you know what? You guys at Arsenal, you need to watch. Um, you need to, like, if you're looking for a Van Dyke, look for, he gave me the name of a player in the Celtic squad. Uh, he's a defender. He's gigantic. He comes from Norway or something like that. Yes, Christopher Ayer. Right. Ayer or Ager. Ager. No, Ayer, I guess. And he said, this guy is like, he's the real deal. Yeah. He's the real deal, he says. So maybe that's what we need to do instead of passing up the opportunity of signing Virgil van Dijk from Celtic <laughs> because we weren't convinced by him. Yeah. Um, which maybe is slightly understandable when you know it was a, a few years uh, before he got Premier League experience but yeah uh, yeah the defence of course is is uh, is always a worry from an Arsenal point of view I think yeah. you're looking who's, at who's playing fullback at the minute for you Ainsley Maitland-Niles oh yeah is playing on the right hand side he's and, a bit raw yeah a bit raw um, he, he, he he fluctuates a, quite a bit you know between being really good yeah and then having moments which are Bad. Well, that's what you'd expect. Yeah, kind of. But he's he's twenty two now, twenty three. So he's not like oh. he's not a kid, kid. Um, so I mean, there's there's a lot of talent there. Obviously, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how he plays against uh, Andy Robertson. Yeah, yeah. He'll have his work cut out there for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, there's, yeah, there's going to be lots of that though. You know. Yeah. Because Trent leaves space in behind and. There's going to be lots of caginess, I think. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see what Emery does. Like, is he going to play with a front three or is he going to play? I suspect he might play three at the back and wing backs to try and counter your full backs. Um, But then can you get players into the wide positions or into those spaces? And then can you find them, you know, if you you win the ball back? Yeah. That's the, the interesting thing. Yeah. I mean the the game at the at the Emirates last year that we went to. Mm. Um, 
you won that midfield. You won the midfield that day. Yeah. And that's, that was the difference, I think. Yeah. The Jack had played the game of his life. He did. He had a great game. Is he anywhere near the squad? Or? Yeah. I think he's back in full training. So it's just really a question of whether he comes back in because Genduzi was very good against Burnley. Joe yeah. Willock has been, has been great. Ceballos was fantastic. But maybe you sacrifice one of the useful players for a bit more experience yeah. in Jack. And I, I feel like, I feel like, it would be really brave from Emery to stick with that midfield trio. I mean, there's Lucas Torreira as well to consider. I'm not yeah. quite sure if he's ready to start yet, but I think it would be braver than I think Emery is anyway. Yeah, he is a bit... He yeah, can be. I mean, I, yeah, I, I think this season there are signs that he is going to be a bit more um, expansive and he's going to try and attack more yeah. because he's got Pepe and he's got these players. That's where the strength lies in that front three. Yeah. Um, but maybe for a game like this, this early in the season, is he going to play a, a youthful midfield trio? I mean, who's going to play in your midfield? Fabinho will start. Yeah? Yeah. And probably Henderson. And either, uh, I'd say Wijnaldum. Right. Yeah, I think it'll be those three. Okay. Um, yeah, and Fabinho gets around, you know, he gets everywhere. Um, I love that man. Yeah? Yeah. And then the, the front three are starting to click. Mane is just picked up where he left off last season is being ridiculous his goal against Southampton was really good yeah really and, good uh, Bobby Firmino just is non-stop yeah yeah and then Salah will you know Salah will Salah Salah will Salah so yeah I don't know if we play well I, Look, I feel like we should win yeah but, you I, know, I, we've I, seen weirder things happen in these games I know I mean it was a big defeat there last season for us um yeah. There's been a few. Yeah, there have been a few in the last in the last decade, that's for sure. It's yeah. 2012 since we last won at Anfield. I think we've had a draw or two, maybe two draws. There was a 3-3, wasn't there? Was there a ridiculous fucking 3-3 and we just scored to win it and then you scored in the last minute or something like that? I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, that's right? Some fucking bullshit anyway. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I'm not going to say the law of averages is, is on our side, um, and I think if you if you play as well as you can, even if we play as well as we can, I think you've got just a bit too much for us. But it's early season. It's early season. Yeah, yeah, so you, you don't know. So, you know, maybe one of your players gets sent off very early. Who knows? Adrian for a handball outside <laughs> the area. Deliberate handball. Yeah. Yeah. Then you well, got to put, who do you put in goal then? Well, there's two keepers. There's uh, Lonergan who I think is in his 50s. Right. And then this uh, young Irish lad, Cuevin Kelleher, I think is his name. Cuevin Kelleher. Yeah. That is a very Irish name. Who might be 20 or... Right. Yeah. So, I don't know. you got to give the young lad a chance. Give youth a chance. Give youth a chance, as John Lennon said. Um, yeah. I doubt that's going to happen, though. In I, I doubt it. All right. Well, look, we'll see. May the best team win. And by that, I mean Arsenal, obviously. Well... But... You can eat those words. Yeah, I probably will. I probably will. Uh, as ever, thank you uh, to the Mug Smasher. Pleasure. Thank you very much indeed to the Mug Smasher. Hopefully come the end of the 90 minutes at Anfield on Saturday evening. He's a sad Mug Smasher. I mean, I think I'd just take a 
mildly frustrated mug smasher, to be honest. That would be a reasonable result for us. Go there and nick a draw or something like that. I could live with that. But we'll wait and see what kind of team Unai Emery picks. Is he going to play with a back three? Is he going to do a 3-4-3, a 3-5-2? Is he going to play with a back four? Is he going to start Nicolas Pepe? The answers to those questions, I do not know. And we will have to wait until whatever, like half four on, on Saturday afternoon to find out when the teams are announced. I hope we can just go there and give a decent account of ourselves. And if we can come away, I think, with a point, that would be a good weekend's work for us because next weekend, of course, is the North London Derby. Nicolas Pepe is going to score, you know, a hat-trick, maybe two. And, you know, we'll be rocking the first part of the season going into going into the uh, the first interlull of the season. Boo. Yeah, it's nearly there. It's nearly there. But look, James and I will be here on Monday to talk about whatever happens between Liverpool and Arsenal at Anfield. Hopefully, it's a goodly morning. Hopefully, you'll join us for that. Thank you as ever for listening to this. Hope you have a great weekend. Catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. You know, I've heard it said that when Arsenal knock, it's a different kind of knock. Yes, this is true. The Arsenal knock is different from every other knock in the Premier League. I will demonstrate to you. For example, Manchester City knock. Manchester United knock. Liverpool knock. Chelsea knock. Tottenham knock. And now, of course, Arsenal knock. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.